You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is the Classic Auto Mall Podcast. Broadcast from the studios inside the Classic Auto Mall in Morgantown, Pennsylvania. Just one hour west of Philadelphia at Pennsylvania Turnpike Exit 298. Featuring nearly 1,000 classic, vintage, and barn find vehicles for sale under one climate-controlled roof. Now, here's your host, Classic Auto Mall President and the man with all the toys, Stuart Howden. Well, surprise, it's not Stuart, it's me, J.R. Rush, your charming and delightful producer, engineer, and chief cook and bottle washer here at the Classic Auto Mall podcast. This original posting is around the Thanksgiving holiday of 2023, and with so much going on, we pretty much decided to take the day off. So we thought we'd share some best of moments with you. Portions of several interviews, not only from recent shows, but some classics, if you will, since it is the Classic Auto Mall. We thank you for listening. Make sure you like and and subscribe on our YouTube channel and keep looking for us wherever you listen to your podcasts. So without further ado, let's listen to our venerable host with a fascinating interview of a car collector and renowned music producer with some previously unheard comment. Here's the Classic Auto Mall president and Classic Auto Mall host, Stuart Howden. In the studio with us, O.B. O'Brien, who has worked with everybody, but done a lot of work with uh, John Bon Jovi from the Classic Auto Mall Studio in beautiful sunny downtown Morgantown, Pennsylvania. Yeah, by the way, if those of you don't realize, this is a car show, but we've been talking music, but O.B. is a car guy, too, and has been for a long time. There's a picture of you and Bon Jovi uh, on the cover of Street Rod, or Super Chevy Magazine. Rod and, uh, well, we were, we, t- we were together on Rod and Custom. Rod and Custom, that was it, it's sorry. It's my... 32 and his 57 Nomad. But his 70 Chevelle was in one of those Chevy magazines right after we we did it. How cool is that, though? I'll tell you what. He loves that car. Oh, I bet. And uh, it's great. It's got a 454 in it. And, you know, it's got the cow induction. And what a great car. And that thing, he takes it to his summer house and drives it. When everybody in the town where he is is in their little Range Rover or, you know, Bentley, and here yeah. comes the yeah. you know, tops down making all this noise. Yeah, those, those rock stars. Yep. But he's had, he's had some great cars over oh, the years. He had a, he had a 58 Corvette. Oh, he had, love those. Uh, I think it was a 69 Camaro. I mean, he's had, he, he had that 57 Nomad. Right. He had a Nomad. That I was in love with, right? And it was a four fifty four, right? Four wheel disc brakes, nice. Good uh, driver, yeah. Good, good one to drive. R seven hundred overdrive yeah, yeah. tranny in it. So you got modern conveniences, but with still the cool <clears throat> nomad look. And you know, I've had a lot of cars right. over the years, and I and and cars that I loved. I had a sixty three Impala SS four hundred nine convertible what a that I car. bought four speed that right. I bought off the lot. In 19, probably 69, from a place called Dick Barone Chevrolet in Springfield, Pennsylvania, right outside of Philadelphia. Farmer Dick Barone. (laughs) I love that car, and the engine blew up on the way back on the Atlantic City Expressway. (laughs) We were playing our band. We were playing in um, 
Summers Point. So Maryland. this was your band. This was the yeah. band that you were in. Yeah. So when I when I and we we would play down the shore resorts in the right. in the summer, and someone had stolen the gauges really? out of it. Yeah. <laughs> that seems and like a hard thing to so steal. So I put a clamp on the oil line because it was an actual. It was you know a mechanical. Yeah, it was a mechanical, <laughs> and I. And the car, the thermostat locked up, and I didn't know it. And I'm, we're, I'm going much faster than you were right. supposed to be going, Atlantic Expressway. And all of a sudden, I'm look. I look at the rearview mirror, and there's smoke. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> oh, it starts man. bucking, and bang, oh. right through the side of the block. So how did you get home? One of the other band guys was 20 minutes behind me. Uh, he came up and then called somebody. You know, you forget no cell phones. No cell phones. This right. is 1970, maybe. Right, right. And we're we're on the side of the road in the Atlantic State Expressway. And you know we and you know I, I had my drums in the trunk, <laughs> of course, and part of it in the back seat. I'm on the side of the road, and I believe I had our bass player Hugh McDonald, right? Who, by the way, is the bass player in Bon Jovi right now? When Alec, the original bass player, retired, Hugh took over because Hugh had played on a lot of the records. Right. Amazing bass player. Right. So, and one of our bandmates was, was like, we left at the same time, right. but they're they're actually doing the speed limit. <laughs> You're flying, <laughs> yeah, the you know. 409. Wishing yeah. you had a fifth gear, though, right? Yeah, yeah that yep. would have been nice. So, how did how did you get the car home? So he came, and then he went to a payphone. He had two other people come and meet us, right? Because they were staying at a hotel in uh, Ocean City, right outside of Summers Point, right? Right. So we got enough cars there, so we had to unload my drums. And now I'm thinking, you know, because my car was a convertible, right? So I'm putting the convertible top up. And I'm like, I just know this isn't good. I'm going to leave it on the side of the road. Yeah. And there was a place they had a tow truck and it was a pay phone and it was like 24 hour. And we, I called and the guy actually came. It took him an hour and a half to get there. One of the guys stayed with me, followed the truck. I went in the guy's truck with him and they, uh, got my car, and they put it in, like, their impound lot. Right. And then two or three days later, when I get a tow truck from where I live, somebody I knew, knew somebody that had a flatbed, right. we go down there. But, and I, I forget, it was like a three or $400. <laughs> Which was a lot of money. A lot of money. And I, I you know, I, I think everybody I was with, we all chipped in. I said, right. you know, and, and then I got it back. And that car, unfortunately, sat on the side of the house for a year. Oh. <clears throat> what are you going to do? You don't, I mean, you can't, you know. You know, the engine was shot because right. the, the rod came right through the, the block. Nice. And and uh, I was like, you know. And then a, a friend of mine had a 348. Right. That, you know, 240 horsepower, yeah. whatever it was. He said, why don't you throw this in there? Because, you know, the valve covers look the same. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> and I, you know, I had fin valve covers. Right. He said, put it on nobody else. I go, ah, I don't want to do it. Right. Did you it, sell it to somebody? I ended up selling the car as as it was and getting nothing. Right, maybe a couple hundred bucks, right? Maybe two or three hundred dollars. <clears throat> any idea where the car is today? No idea. Oh, wouldn't that be cool? But you hope you hope somebody did the right thing. With yeah. It, right? So you were a drummer? Yeah. And uh and, and what was Atlantic City like in nineteen seventy? I mean Well, was, we never did Atlantic City. We did we did like the, Ocean City right. uh Summers Point. Right. Now, Summers Point was the hot place right here because you had Bay Shores and Tony Marts, which were the big places. Right. We played down the street from them at a place called the Mug that it was just great. We had a horn band. So right. we had nine or ten people. Playing covers or original? Covers. And Blood, Sweat and Tears and stuff Chicago, like that. Blood, Chicago. Sweat and Tears, the electric flag, oh, yeah. which very few people aren't gonna know. I have no but idea. Mike Bloomfield was a guitar player who was well, an unbelievable yeah. guitar player. Amazing guy. But um I'm gonna tell you how many flights of stairs <laughs> 
that I carried, I helped carry a Hammond C3 oh. and two Leslie's. Oh, which weigh like two 122 Leslie's. They both have mercury in them, right? Um, <laughs> They're just crazy. I mean, yeah. you know, you're a kid. You don't, you know, anybody. You're, you're, you know, you would haul this up and have to walk up flights and oh, stairs. I remember doing the same thing. I was a roadie for a band back in the day and we had Heavy Debbie, the big case that had all the, the metal microphone stands yeah. lugging that thing up the back stairway of a. It was, <laughs> I don't, you know, but I will say this. It doesn't matter who John had in his band. That band would have been successful. Successful. He's focused. He's driven. He's, he's just the, one of the greatest human beings I've ever met in my life. How does a guy like that, when he gets to the the twilight years of his career, is it is it a, a slow progression to, you know, you're not as famous as you were, not as much in the limelight as you were back when you were doing stadium tours, but he's still as well-known as anybody on the planet, well, right? I mean, he, it, his fame hasn't diminished. No, and here's the thing. It's not that he's, like, I look at him, you know, I've known him since he was 18, so we've been right. friends for 43 years. Wow, wow. Yeah. The thing is, what he has done to help people, his philanthropic, right. is unreal. He's got the soul kitchens mm-hmm. where you can come. It doesn't matter if you have money. You can bring your family and in dignity, eat in a beautiful restaurant, mm-hmm. beautiful food. What he's done in Philadelphia, you know, he, he partnered with Sister Mary Scullion, Project Home. The amount of housing units they have built together. What the, the you know what he's been able to do. He'd be long remembered for that as much as he'll be remembered as a absolutely. As a I mean he he has done th- and I've seen him change people's lives. And I'm not talking about oh here's a check right right hands that, yeah. on and help people wow. out of incredibly difficult situations. Wow. Do the right thing with uh, these cars, people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know you. you you hate it because they're, they're, they really are works of art. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. And, and we're and, the stewards. We're just the keeper of the yeah. car for a period of time. You know, and, and, but it's that way with everything in our life. And because here's the thing, you know, everyone loves their house. Sure. Your house does not give a shit whether you live <laughs> or die. It will and, never change anything. And I throw money at my house like, <laughs> you know, and, and the thing was, I, I, I just put a big generator in at my right. house. So we dug a hole for a 500-gallon propane tank. Right. Of course. And I was thinking about this, and I wrote the story of my house right. with a big magic marker on that tank saying, "Bought it." I in. put the date. Right. I said, we, we bought this house. I put my wife's name and my name. I put a story about this house, how we you know ripped it apart, rebuilt it oh, for two years. Because so, at some point, somebody's going to dig that up, and then the whole history of that house is there. Because- you know, that's going to be someone else's home. That's right. And I hope that they get as much enjoyment out of that house Absolutely. as we're getting. Absolutely. Because everyone loves coming to my house. Well, and there you go. And it's no different than the car. I mean, we if you're <clears> passionate <throat> about something, and listen, at the end of the day, people say, oh, if you over-customize your house, then you'll do this and it won't be valuable. And all. Well, I, 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 who cares? I, I, I never cared about that. Yeah, I don't care. Like, you know, I, I remember the... I'm friends with the, the gentleman who, the real estate agent who got me, found me the house. Right. And he's like, well, you know, you, you should put this many bedrooms for resale. I go, I'm going to be dead. Yeah, I don't care. <clears throat> and we don't care about resale. <laughs> We're going to have a house that we love every day. Yeah. Like I walk into my kitchen. First thing I do is turn the jukebox on in the morning. I, I put the Beatles. I put Elvis. I put the Drifters. Right. I eat my Honey Nut Cheerios, and I go. That's a plug for Honey Nut Cheerios. We yeah. get sponsorship money. How, how bad can the day be? <laughs> yeah, you're starting out the day. Yeah, and 
and probably getting ready to go down to the studio, right? Yeah. And and dink around there. So cars and, and houses, and, and you want them, they should have a life. They should have a life. They should because, have a life. Because they won't be yours forever. Yeah. And somebody else is going to enjoy it, you hope, yeah. and, and you appreciate hope. it for what you do. And you listen, hope. if you over-customize it, then, then the right person that does find it, that wants it, is going to be someone similar to you. There's an ass for, for every, every seat. seat. <laughs> With that, <clears throat> we will call it a day. Thank you so much for being on well, the show today. Well, thanks for uh, having yeah, me up here. we'll this do it place, again. This place is great. I'll come back another time. Yeah, please do. Uh, once again, Obi O'Brien in the studio with us today. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, Stuart. You're listening to the Classic Auto Mall podcast, broadcasting from the Classic Auto Mall, Morgantown, Pennsylvania. If you have any questions or comments, contact us at ClassicAutoMall.com. It's a museum, it's a showroom, it's an experience. The Classic Auto Mall in Morgantown, Pennsylvania is 336,000 square feet of rare, custom, and specialty automobiles on display and on consignment. From the earliest production cars to modern exotics, Classic Auto Mall is a feast for the eyes and the memories. Stroll through time in any season in this climate-controlled facility that you simply have to see to believe. Admission is free. Just remember to bring comfortable shoes. When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't afford, or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. Since the 1960s, J.C. Taylor has been America's premier specialty insurance provider for classic cars, antique autos, modified, and custom vehicles. Our customers have trusted us to protect their prized possessions for more than six decades. For more information, or to receive a quote, contact our expert team today by calling 888-ANTIQUE, or by visiting our website at jctaylor.com slash awr. That's 888-268-4783. Or visit jctaylor.com slash awr drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor. What will Victor say next? Find out every Tuesday at 1 p.m. on the On Point with Victor show, only on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is the first Classic Auto Mall Best Of. Now here's part of another interview from Classic Auto Mall president and podcast host, Stuart Howden, talking about a car you might not be familiar with unless you saw the movie. We have two special guests with us today. One in studio, Jeff Leemeister, who's the executive director of the uh, AACA Museum in Hershey, and Mark Lieberman. Uh, I, for lack of a better terminology, Mark, you're the Tucker whiz expert guru. Is that fair? I'll go with that. Sure. You know, we, uh, Jeff and I, Jeff, I had him on the show, oh, like I said, probably one of our first shows, probably a year and a half or so ago, Jeff, and, uh, uh, talking about the AACA Museum and all the wonderful things that you do. And, uh, 
it still continues just to grow and grow and grow. You guys are, are a success story in the museum world that not many people enjoy. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you see it that way. We, we, we agree. You know, we're, we rebuilt, we bonded, we re-advertised or branded ourselves last year as America's transportation experience. And right. 2023 is an important year for us for many reasons. It's our 20th anniversary as a public museum. Wow. Which is fantastic. And we have a whole series of, of, of events planned for the year, but. It's also the 75th anniversary of the launch of the Tucker 48, the Tucker Automobile, which is an iconic part of automotive history. And that's where Mark's going to uh, come into this program today. You know, the sure. museum has the largest collection of Tucker automobiles and automobilia in one spot in the whole wow. world. Isn't it amazing how those were salvaged and saved? And, you know, we didn't know about collectability of cars back in, in the 40s. My goodness, nobody was thinking about no, that. No, every one of those vehicles is accounted for. Wow. And most of them still exist, as Mark will tell you. Right, right, right. And and the reason that the AACA Museum kind of has a Tucker influence, but is it by happenstance, or did it was it designed, or how did that come about? Uh, years ago, before we actually built the museum, one of our our founders, Bill Smith, AACA executive director right. at the time, had a developed a relationship with with uh, Mr. Kamek of Virginia, the Kamek family. He had, he had collected three of the vehicles, plus the blueprints, test engines, chassis, all wow. kinds of things, and. Their family put an addition on the building to house these things. Right. And when he passed away several years ago, the collection came to us. That's fantastic. And we've added more. You know, Mark is with us because Mark was a, the president of the Tucker Club of America. Right, right. Jack, the Tucker Automobile Club of America. And they merged with us. And now Mark is our senior Tucker advisor as well as a board member of the ACA Museum. Oh, fantastic. I didn't realize that was a mer- that happened. Yeah, yeah so they, they, they were taken in as part of our umbrella. And uh, they're part of the ACA Museum. And we are now the center of the Tucker universe. And we have people <laughs> like Mark to help further the Tucker cause. And... uh our anniversary event is coming up in mid-June, and, and Mark's here to talk about the just the wonderful program we have put together for the public to yeah. these iconic cars. I mean, it's not just, you know, there's there's a lot of things, and you can have a car on display, but you guys have done much more than this, Mark, for this event coming up. I mean, it's going to be immersive Tuckerville, right? It will. Um, we've got, uh, uh, well, there'll be 10 cars on display, uh, so you not only are you going to have an opportunity to see the very first uh, Tucker production car, the first Tucker 48 on there, car number one, but you're also going to be able to see Tucker number 50, the final car off the assembly line, right. and then several in between. Sure. Uh, the variations, uh, you'll be able to observe the uh, the people that are going to be out here taking a, a look at these cars will really get a chance firsthand to see what went on over that very short period of time, roughly eight months that they were building these cars and all the changes that took place. Sure. And and for for those that don't know, I mean, there's rarity in the fact that they only build a few. But these things were technological marvels of the time. I mean, what's made a Tucker so special that they command the prices that they command nowadays? Well, you know, it's really quite remarkable. If you take a look at what uh, Preston Tucker and Alex Premulus and the design staff put together uh, in these automobiles, you see some very unique features that carry forward to today. So, for example... You have the first padded dashboard. You have four-wheel independent suspension, rear aluminum engine, um, a four-speed electronic pre-select transmission. <laughs> very, very unique system that they actually got the ideas from from the cord, um, where you select a gear and it doesn't do anything until you touch the clutch, right. and then it shifts for you. Um, you've also got uh, doors that are open into the roof line for easy entrance and exit. Uh, interchangeable seats. You can swap front to rear uh, in order to even the wear on seats. <laughs> That's so, brilliant. It's really brilliant. some wild stuff. Um, you also have, you know, he paid a lot of attention to safety, and so you've got uh, a pop-out safety windshield 
right. in these, which you didn't see uh, in other cars of the time. Uh, and then extraordinary performance. Here is an almost 19-foot-long car that was capable of doing 130 miles an hour. Wow. This is a four-door sedan in 1948 that would outrun just about every car on the road. Right. Well, and a padded, da- you know, you mentioned the padded dash, and people think, well, what's so special about that? That was a real safety thing, though, because you had metal dashes before, and you hit that face first. Uh, you you wouldn't mind to have a little padding in there, right? Uh, very true, true. And how yeah. are Tuckers to drive? Are they great to drive? Are they cumbersome? What do they feel like today? Okay, so so uh, a Tucker that is set up correctly um, and and sorted out is an amazing vehicle to drive. I would uh, I would liken it to a giant three fifty six Porsche on steroids. <laughs> what a great analogy! Yes, I like that uh, a lot. It is, a very light front end, super easy to steer. Uh, the suspension is torsolastic tubes or a, or a torsolastic slab, so right. it's rubber suspension. There are no springs. Wow! And so it gives you a very unique riding experience. Sure, sure. And and I read, I was reading. I'm I'm learning more and more about Tucker's in the past couple of days, just kind of preparing for this. And one of the unique features about a Tucker, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that the engine could be removed in a very short period of time if you needed to service it. And actually, the idea was that they could replace the motor while they were sorting out your motor, and then you'd come back in and re- do the whole thing in reverse. That was the idea. They they wanted to have um, a very quickly replaceable drivetrain. So you brought your vehicle in for for major service on the engine, they would give you a loaner engine instead of a loaner car. <laughs> I love it. And, uh, and you would drive away until your engine was serviced and put it back in. Yeah, isn't that amazing? I mean, who who to thunk, right? But, you know, I mean, interestingly, uh, the Tucker wasn't killed because it was a, a poor car, right? I mean, the Tucker didn't survive because the, the, uh, the big three didn't want it to survive, right? I mean, is that ultimately well, what it was or... That, that, that's certainly that that's certainly the way the movie portrayed right <laughs> okay but it, but it's not so much the reality of the way it was i mean there was a combination of factors that were that were kind of working against him at the time he was undercapitalized even though uh that they managed to raise to to raise with the ipo uh 26 million dollars that was not enough to launch a new sure. car company and sure. and the Tucker corporation suffered under a number of things one um it was politically unpopular with uh the the senator ferguson in michigan who thought that they were going to encroach upon the car companies right but for the most part the car the car companies were certainly aware of him but really weren't that threatened in fact ford was selling him parts and steering wheels and uh hudson was selling him parts and kaiser was selling him parts sure. So if they really felt that he was that they wanted to run him out of business, they wouldn't be supporting him. Right, exactly. Uh, so, so, so I don't think that it was so much that the car companies wanted to run him out of business as much as it was a problem with undercapitalization, the problem with the press uh, creating this this uh, uh, issue um, of of no confidence from the public because of the investigation, which turned out to be. Uh, unsubstantiated, and he and his management team were acquitted of all charges. But when the SEC came down upon him uh, at that period of time and the story broke on the news before he was even, before he was even aware that it was happening, it was 
pretty much uh, a political and news hit job. Sure, sure. I mean, you would think that such a great car like that would have been, you know, somebody would have said, hey, we'll just take all that and start building it under our name or our menu. You know, Ford might take it or Chrysler or somebody else would have taken the car. But I guess there just wasn't enough there for anybody to take, right? Well, here's the challenge. Um, it would have cost them an enormous amount of money to make the changes in their product line to incorporate the things in place that Tucker had. Right. And that type of investment was deemed unnecessary at the time since Tucker was off the table, so to sure. speak. <laughs> but they did go forward with adopting several of the things that were in place that he utilized. Now, keep in mind, too, that since Tucker was produced for such a short period of time, they really didn't have an opportunity to sort these things out fully. Right. If he had the opportunity to do so, then it certainly would have advanced much better. Another thing that you've got to keep in mind with this, too, is that this wasn't a little operation. He had 250 full-time engineers, more than Packard at the time. Wow. And how do people find you if they're looking for something Tucker? Is there, do you have a website that people can a- go absolutely. to? Absolutely. Uh We buy, sell, and restore all types of interesting collecting automobiles. Uh, and uh, you'll find uh, uh, certainly links to all the special Tucker stuff there as well. Sure, sure. I guess there's a lot of information out there on Tuckers and out on the web and, and all of that. If you just Google it, I'm sure you can find lots of things. But it's like anything on the Internet, you know, what's what's accurate and what's not. And, and that's where the AACA Museum comes in because you can – refute or dispute or tell people that that is true or not true on something, right? Yeah, we field questions almost daily about the Tucker question. Sure. And I imagine a lot of it is myth and legend and the movie-based and, and all that stuff as well, too. But I would imagine that also, you know, I guess people, if somebody's thinking of buying a Tucker, they obviously want to do their due diligence and, and call you guys and call you, uh, Mark, and, and learn a little bit more before they dive in and buy something that maybe wasn't the right car. Indeed. Well, we're we're here to help, and uh, uh, we we have spent an enormous amount of time trying to understand these cars better uh, and make sure that uh, they're preserved for the generations ahead to appreciate like we do. Sure, sure. And you mentioned Rob Ida; he's an integral player in all of this, right? I mean, he's been involved with Tucker's for quite a while as well. Well, his grandfather had a dealership. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, and that's that, how it started. Wow. What, so that would have been, were the dealerships opened in 47 or were they, did they open when the first cars came out of the factory or they opened a little early? No, they started selling, they started selling dealerships in 47. And right. so, uh, people bought franchises in the, in the anticipation of having cars to sell. And, uh, initially, uh, uh, Preston would send out certain cars to dealerships so they could display them and demonstrate them. And then early on, uh, well, I should say as that moved along a bit, uh, he was selling the de- the cars to the dealerships. And so a few cars got sold through the dealerships. Most of the cars got sold at the liquidation auction right. when uh, following the closure of the company. Right. How many dealers were there when they first started? Uh, there was over 2,000. <laughs> and we have some of those contracts. I've read some of them. It's, it's wow. really interesting snapshot in history to, to review. Wow. Those. They, he, they was were that? serious. They yeah. were serious about that. And he was a hell of a salesman too, right? I mean, Preston Tucker yes. to, to get two thousand dealerships—that's got to be mighty impressive. So, did any particular dealer sell like two or three, or was it, who was the winner in that? <laughs> I, I, I don't know that there was a, a winner in that. In fact, if, if you speak to any of the descendants of the dealer old, holders, 
I think that they would say that there were more losers than winners. <laughs> yeah. out of that. I would imagine it'd be interesting to know what was their friend. Do you remember what the franchise cost was back in back then, Jeff? Is there was there a number that there was and a there was some suggested number. I can't remember. Do you remember what it was, Mark? What, what you needed in capital to incorporate? In I, think it 70, I, I think it was seventy. I think it was seventy five hundred dollars. Oh wow! Of course, that was a lot of money in nineteen forty seven. Yeah. We're just out of a war. Um, right. you know, but of course, I mean, it was a good time to be in the car business. It had some things going for it to be starting then. I mean, that was the, the start of an era of time that was as successful as we've ever seen in this country from, you know, after the war until the, through the fifties. It was, it was, it was a time of growing prosperity. People had a lot of hope. Uh, people wanted to, uh, experience life. They had come through the war. Uh, they had, uh, still fresh memories of, of difficult times. And at this point, you know, the, the economy was growing. Uh, there was a big push for, for infrastructure and road building and highways and travel. Keep in mind, at that point in time, motoring was an activity. Right. <laughs> you know, the idea of, of having freedom from, from, uh, uh, with your automobile was, was, you know, something that was really treasured. You know, now freedom to, to kids today is their telephone. Right. Well, then freedom was your automobile. And so it was such an integral part, part of your life that they marketed very specifically to people and certain groups. And the idea there was that you should find the right automobile that you connect with because this was your connection to the outside world. Sure. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like, Mark, we could do this all day long, and you wouldn't be for a lack of any information. Uh, we really appreciate you being on. Jeff, tell us once again how people find out about this event and uh, and when the dates are and all that good stuff. If you search uh, Tucker 75th in, in the Internet, we'll come up, but go to our directly to our museum website, aacamuseum.org. Join us on the 16th and 17th of June for a once-in-a-lifetime celebration of everything Tucker. Yeah, I highly re- recommend everybody uh, participate in this and go see it because it's an amazing story, and uh, and we've learned a little bit about that today. And thanks so much to both of you guys for being here uh, in person and online. And go back to your factory job because I see you guys putting the bolt on the wrong place. I, I've got work to do back here, <laughs> make, make sure that you get out and get online and buy your tickets yes. for this event. The seating is limited. Absolutely. Yes, it's well worth it. Absolutely. And don't want to miss it on, on the sellout. So if you have any questions, podcast at classicautomall.com. And you can also visit our website, classicautomall.com. When we return uh, with the Classic Automall podcast, we'll be back in a couple of minutes. If you love classic cars, you're going to want to listen to the Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello on America's Web Radio. Live every Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern at americaswebradio.com or on demand on your favorite podcast app. It's a museum, it's a showroom, it's an experience. The Classic Auto Mall in Morgantown, Pennsylvania is 336,000 square feet of rare, custom, and specialty automobiles on display and on consignment. From the earliest production cars to modern exotics, Classic Auto Mall is a feast for the eyes and the memories. Stroll through time in any season in this climate-controlled facility that you simply have to see to believe. Admission is free, just remember to bring comfortable shoes. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is the first Classic Auto Mall Best Of. Now here's part of another interview from Classic Auto Mall president and podcast host, Stuart Howden, as he talks to one of his most tired guests. 
Joining us via Zoom uh, from Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, Mr. Corky Coker. How are you this morning, Corky? I'm great. How are you, brother? We are doing fantastic. You know, we've been talking about doing this for about a year and a half, and uh, yeah. you know, it's hard to get schedules and everybody on the same page and all that, but we're really glad to have you. Um, I didn't know this about you. You were born in one of my favorite towns, and the reason it's my favorite town is my favorite company is located in your hometown, Mayfield Dairy Farms. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> you know, there's there's a bunch of folks that are bluebell aficionados and they, they all these other ice cream. They ain't nothing like Mayfield's. I am with you 100%. I, I, I try to figure out a way to bring some home every time I come back to Pennsylvania because I love <laughs> their ice cream sandwiches are the best and their brown cows are the best. And we could oh, do yeah. a whole show on Scotty Mayfield and the success of Mayfield Dairy, but... One of these yeah. days, the Pennsylvanians will get it. We don't, they don't quite understand food up here, Corky. It's not like in the South. So, <laughs> you know, I, I remember coming to Hershey back in the sixties and I'd go to friendlies or something like that and ask for grits. And they said, well, what's that? <laughs> is that ground up corn husks? <laughs> yeah, that's a perfect description of what they think it is. I'll, ne- I'll never forget the first time I was here. We had a dealer auction and we had a cafeteria and, sh- and the girl knew I was from the South, from T- Knoxville. And she said, Oh, you're going to really love lunch tomorrow. She said, we're having chicken pot pie. And I said, Oh, I love chicken pot pie. And she brings out this plate the next day and it's, and it's this soupy looking stuff with these round clumps of dough. I said, that's. That's chicken and dumplings. She goes, no, that's chicken pot pie. I go, you don't know. They don't know. So, it's got to be in a little round tin about that that big so you can put it on a plate and cut it yourself. And, you know, steam comes out just like mama used to make them. You know, we could do a whole show on food, so I guess we somehow digressed here. But anyway, uh, uh thanks again for being on the show. So tell me, where's the name Corky come from? I think I know the answer, but uh, tell our listeners where that comes from. Well, you know, my mama um, said, we're going to name him Joseph. And it was after the young man who had the coat of many colors um, and and, uh, in the Bible. So she wanted to have a Bible name. And it was the Jewish description or definition means productive. And I guess that kind of uh, said something about me, too. But my dad was uh, a big and very voracious Sunday morning paper reader, and he would read the Sunday morning comic strips, and one of those that still exists today is Gasoline Alley. And the guy that rode around in the cart picking up junk and parts and stuff, name with you know, there was you know, there was several people in that uh gasoline alley comic strip, but the name stuck. My dad says, You're gonna call you're gonna name him Joseph. Uh, but he, we're going to always call him Corky and it's stuck. Oh boy, it did ever. Have you ever met anybody else named Corky? Oh yeah. Lots of folks. I've got a Mason down here, down the way that, that does some brickwork for me. And there's, you know, but there's not too many one name wonders in the, <laughs> uh, that have the name Corky in the, uh, in the automotive aftermarket and anti-car hobby. I would think so. I think that was true. I, we were uh, t- uh speaking of the antique car and the car hobby the Chattanooga Motoring Fest has really become a must attend event for everybody on their calendar and you obviously are a big part of that tell us a little bit about how that all got going and and uh, where it's headed well we um we're going into our fourth year and um we've got some really big plans we've been talking to uh uh you guys at Classic Auto Mall about coming we hope that you're coming with uh, Bell Zone, and we'd love to have you here. Our Absolutely. event happens downtown Chattanooga. We have a wonderful 
uh, historic downtown that um, where, you know, we block off a number of city streets. There's restaurants on the streets. There's uh, places for mama to go shopping when she doesn't gets tired of looking at uh, hubcaps and uh, checking out to make sure that the original tires are on all those collector cars. Yes. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's a really wonderful uh, event. Uh, it happens the week after Hershey, the second week in October. Um, you can find out anything you want to find out about it at, at ChattanoogaMotorCar.org. Uh, and um, it's um, a really wonderful event. Sunday, we have our Chattanooga Motor Car uh, concourse on on the grounds there in the West Village, in right. Chattanooga, downtown Chattanooga. Uh, it's around the Weston. My uh, partner and friend Byron DeFore uh, owns a number of the hotels down, and his brother Ken own a number of the hotels. Um, we have a 1.62 mile racetrack on private property right downtown, within two blocks of the um, uh, of the Weston. Right. Um, the, my museum is on Chestnut Street, uh, next door to the, uh, uh, Chattanooga Hamilton County Convention Center. No. It, it's, um, it, uh, it will host the Meek, the third year of the Meekum auction there. No. So you guys can come down here and buy a lot of inventory and take it back to, uh, Pennsylvania to sell. <laughs> to all the, all the folks up here, right? We, all those uh, folks up here. If you've never been to Chattanooga, I was, I, I was, I was back there last year for the first time in, oh, hundreds of years before, before I was there last. And it's, it, it's a wonderful town. It's a, it really has grown in a, in a, in a nice format and way that it's not overgrown and crazy busy like some of the places have gotten. But I mean, it's, it's got the coolest downtown I've been to in a long time. Well. We're, we're very proud of Chattanooga and we've got a, a city council and a county commission that work together, two county mayors that really support the Chattanooga motor car. We've got the World Rally, uh, uh, association coming down to race cars. They're going to have a headquarters in Chattanooga, uh, um, and race those rally cars in Cherokee National Forest and, and some of the, uh, uh, areas close to us. We've got, obviously I mentioned this downtown racetrack. Um, this year we have, uh, we have a very special event that I'm kind of sponsoring and heading up at the racetrack and on the show field also. It's Mercer versus Stutz. Oh, I love it. And we're going to have a whole group on the racetrack with Mercer's racing Stutz, uh, automobiles because you know, you've got to be nuts to drive a Stutz, (laughs) but it's worser if you drive a Mercer. Oh, worser. That's a good Tennessee word. I like that a lot. So right. is, is there, is there talk of the track becoming a permanent type facility? Is that going to happen someday or is it all going to be a street course like it has been in the past? No, well, we had, we had, uh, we've got, we've always had the majority of it on the Bend property, which is a development that they're building a whole West village downtown next right. to the river with venues <clears throat> and they've got a, a, a river come going through it, like down in San Antonio. Sure. That's, will be an artificial river, but, um, uh, there's a battery producer there. There, there's talk of, um, you know, a local manufacturer automobiles, maybe having a stronger presence downtown. Um, so, um, we think that there's a good possibility. We keep, we will keep this racetrack on the facility downtown and who knows what that might move to. If, uh, we've got a really wonderful looking track, 
Uh, it doubles into itself a lot. Uh, it's got some really cool chicanes. It goes through a, it goes through a, um, a, a huge big, uh, remnant of a building. We, we've got big, uh, pictures of some of the greats, um, uh, drivers, uh, of the years and it's called the Alley of the Greats. It's, it's well thought out. We've got a, a children's area with a, with a Ferris wheel. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's, uh, it's exciting. If you've never been to it, you, you owe it yourself to go. And your specialty when it comes to these is the pre-war, the big, like the Mercer and the Stutz and the Nybergs and all that. And I mean, those cars, those are not easy cars. They, you don't just get in and turn the key on one of those, right? Well, you, you, um, you know, you gotta be a very smart individual. You've gotta be athletically, you gotta be handsome too <laughs> in your jumpsuits, all of that stuff to drive one of those cars. Uh, I'm just kidding. But it's, it's, um, it's a great fun time. We've got the ragtime racers. My friend Brian Blaine will come from, uh, California and we'll have about, uh, about 10 or 12 early nationals and, uh, Sturdivant, uh, you know, there's, uh, EMFs, uh, Chalmers, a number of right. race cars like that that will be going around the track and doing the dance together, uh, going around the track. It's, um, it's a great fun time. Uh, and then of course we'll have Mercers and Stutzes and then there'll be Porsches. And this year we've got a, uh, really wonderful grouping of about 30 of the greatest of the great Ferraris. Really? Um, wow. We've been sanctioned by our good friend, um, uh, uh, Bill Marriott. Yeah. He has loaned us his name. He's got some really amazing, uh, Ferraris and we're creating a club that's focused around Chattanooga. So. All these folks will come uh, to Chattanooga and be involved in, in showing off and driving their Ferraris. We've got Luft this time coming to uh, the Porsche st- cars coming uh, uh, to set up a display downtown. Wow. We've got Canosa going to do a rally. Um, yeah. It's all happening in Chattanooga the week after her. She's second weekend in October. So be here and, uh, you know, have fun with us. Absolutely. So driving one of these pre-war cars at, let's say, 70 or 80 miles an hour feels like 200 in any other car. Is it really? It, it does. It yeah. does. Uh, you know, they, th- there were a lot of cars. If you'll look up some of the records in 1911, 12, 13, some of the average speeds were, you know, 70, 80 miles an hour. And, and back then, that's when, that's when racers were real men. Uh, and today we honestly, with some of these early race cars, we wear safety helmets and we wear, uh, jumpsuits, et cetera, but, uh, we do not wear seat belts because, uh, these cars, uh, if you happen to wreck them or flip them, you want to be, you want to move quickly away from the automobile. Absolutely. That makes a hundred percent sense. So, and I love the, like you were just talking about the period correct attire of your guys. Do you, do you you visit every thrift store in America to find this stuff? Where do you, where do you find that stuff? You know, you can find it on eBay. You can find it on, there's a, there's a, um, there's a really wonderful website called historical emporium. There's a lot of stuff. You can buy dusters. You can buy, um, my wife and I, when we attend concourses all over, we, we've got a number of brass cars and we, we love to dress up in period clothing and people are just, they just gravitate to our car at Amelia this last year. We showed our 1911 top 35 R Mercedes, um, uh, Mercer race about. Right. And, uh, I had on my vintage boots and, you know, she wore a big hat. And right. We have a great time and people enjoy seeing us. Absolutely. And do you participate in other, co- or other historic races around the country or is it just in Chattanooga? Yeah. 
this year in, 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 uh, June, I'll be in, um, at Indy and, um, we've got, uh, we've got some, uh, in August, we'll be at Laguna Seca for, uh, the Monterey Historics. I bet a Mercer through the corkscrew is pretty fun at uh, Laguna. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Mercer is the best no matter what you're doing with it. It right. actually in Chattanooga last year, we had a long straightaway on a city street and we, we determined to get the, the race course uh, adapted. So it's all on private property, but I was doing about 70 miles an hour in that 1911 Mercer down uh, Riverfront Parkway. Wow. But, uh, you know, the days and, and the, the wonderful people I met, um, car, car people are the best people in the world. And, uh, you know, I, I just have to say that, um, I've been, God's really blessed me to grow up in a family that love God, love vintage cars and love their family. And, and, um, you know, we're still that way. Um, I love car people, um, to help folks, uh, even if they bought something from Coca Tire Company next door and they mess on you, I still, I still get involved and try to fix it, but uh, because it's my, it was my baby. Hey, Corky, thanks so much for being on the show today. We really appreciate it and look forward to seeing you in October down in Chattanooga. You're listening to the Classic Auto Mall podcast, broadcasting from the Classic Auto Mall, Morgantown, Pennsylvania. It's all about cars and car people on the Classic Auto Mall podcast. Listen to new shows every week on americaswebradio.com at 9 a.m. Eastern. After that, episodes are available there and on podcast providers such as Spotify and Google Play. Each week, Classic Auto Mall President Stuart Howden serves as your podcast host and interviews personalities from every aspect of the automotive world. Collectors, photographers, classic car dealers, and everyone in between. You don't want to miss an episode of the Classic Auto Mall podcast. Check out more at ClassicAutomall.com. If you love classic cars, you're going to want to listen to The Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello on America's Web Radio. Live every Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern at americaswebradio.com or on demand on your favorite podcast app. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the americasbroadcastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is the Classic Auto Mall podcast from the Classic Auto Mall studio in Morgantown, Pennsylvania. Don't forget to visit us, classicautomall.com on the uh, web, and come see us here in person. Our hours are on our website, where we were just reminiscing about our parking lot uh, with our guest today, Brock Yates, Jr. How are you, sir? I am fine, thank you. We've just met today for the first time, and we're already dear friends. So of you course. know how that works. There's just thousands of dollars <laughs> in stupid activities. And say, well, I'm, I'm going to give some of it to charity. And, yeah, uh, right. Yeah, yeah, I've wasted you know, billions. Billions and billions of dollars. And yeah, here's five dollars. No, I'm kidding. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I, and one of my favorite sayings is, "Racing costs the same today as it did 20 years ago. Every penny you got." Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, for those of you that don't know, Brock Yates Jr.'s father was Brock Yates, Yates Senior., uh, who was one of my favorite writers back in the day with Car and Driver magazine. And he reminded me a lot. He was so irreverent in so many ways. He reminded me a lot of Hunter Thompson. He was just that. He was Gonzo journalism for cars. He was. And he was untethered. Right. Um, I love that, untethered. He, I mean, that was a great thing about Hunter. Hunter was one of my great heroes. Right. And, uh, he, and he was allowed to write what he wanted to write. And and Brock was lucky to be in the golden age of uh, automotive journalism where you you could piss off the uh, the advertisers now sure. and then to tell the truth. And it helped them make better cars. Now, 
you cannot say bad things about a new car as an automotive journalist. Otherwise, you lose your job. Yeah, exactly. You lose your sponsor. You lose your job. Um, the Cannonball Run, such an iconic race that became a series of movies. Uh, the first one was your dad and Dan Gurney. And, and if, no, those of you don't know, Cannonball Run was a race from basically from New York City to Redondo Beach. No, Colorado. Cannonball Run was the movie. Right. <laughs> the Cannonball Sea to Shining Sea Memorial Trophy Dash. Right. Was with the race. the race that Brock started in spring of 71. And we, I was on it. Right. I heard that. And uh, Steve Smith and Jim Williams, who later became the uh, art director of Car and Driver, um, we all showed up the Red Ball Garage expecting other people to show up. <laughs> and, of course, they all wimped out. <laughs> so we took this poor Dodge van all the way to Redondo Beach in 40 hours and 51 minutes. Wow. And it was an amazing trip. It was amazing because every time I drive cross country, subsequently I'm, re- I'm, I'm, I realize how much the world has changed. Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's yeah. You know, we drove into Albuquerque and uh, over the top of the pass. I don't know if you've ever dri- driven into Albuquerque, but the the whole valley is filled with lights. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just an enormous city. Right. And when we drove in. There was a little tiny spot of lights at the bottom, and and Route sixty six, you had to follow Route sixty six. We had to turn, stop, and turn right at a bar. <laughs> that is no longer the case, right? <laughs> and could you, I mean, how did you even find gas back then? That was a real concern yeah. because there were there were no twenty four hour sheets gas and wawas. Yeah, I mean, there you know on the on the main roads there were some. People, you know, right. there were some, and we, you know, you didn't dare let the, the tank get very low. And of course, you carried a couple of gallons with you just, just in, in case. Just in case, right? But uh, no, it was, you know, it was fabulous. It, um, and, and, but anyway, as soon as Brock wrote the story about our adventure, um, got a note from uh, Oscar Kowalski, who was just recently passed, right. um, and saying, We challenge you, but we require pole position. Right. So they get to leave first. Uh, right. Uh, obviously, because they're Polish. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, he, uh, and Brock somehow wheedled a a uh, Ferrari from Kurt White. Right. And at the last minute, Dan Gurney acquiesced to show up. Wow. And uh, that was a very last minute deal. I don't... I. I th- there was a chance Brock wouldn't even have gone. Gone at all. Yeah. Was well, and, and I've got to imagine that, you know, tiredness and all that factors in, but reliability had to be as big a factor as anything back then, or was it? Uh, I don't remember the long... I mean, cars broke. Right. Uh, but, I mean, it's, it's, highway miles are probably the easiest miles on a car, period. Even if you're going fast. Even right? if you're going fast. Yeah. So in in, in the, one of the first Cannonballs... Or one laps, rather, subsequent. Event. Right. A guy, a dealer showed up with two Halpas, um, Lamborghini Halpas. Right, right. And he, and he sold them as used after the event. And he, <laughs> said, and he, he got, he said, those were the most reliable cars I ever sold. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, because, you know, this nice, easy, break-in, you know. Sure. Constant yeah. running miles. Right. Um. You know, yes, or, you know, we had dogs hit and, you know, things, you know, things <laughs> Deer, happened. And, possum. Yeah, and, and, you know, transmissions fall out. Sure. And, you know, no, no, but that's the stuff you see normally on anyway. Yeah, anytime you're driving a car. 
This is the Classic Auto Mall podcast from the Classic Auto Mall studio in Morgantown, Pennsylvania. Brock Yates Jr. is here in the studio with us, and we were talking about the Cannonball Run, and uh, just off the air, we were talking about my father-in-law was actually in that movie. <laughs> Mel Tillis uh, was in Cannonball Run 1 and 2, and in Smoking the Bandit 2. And I think your dad was involved in all three of those, wasn't he, or two uh, of them anyway? Brock, Brock and Hal Needham were very close. Yeah. And yeah. Brock had written as practice, Smoking the Bandit 2. Right. Or at least had a hand in it. Sure. Uh, he then wrote Cannibal Run, the first one. And when I say he wrote it, he got the credit for it. It was rewritten thereafter, and then they included Jackie Chan so they could, you know, have the Eastern market. And, you know, all kinds of things happened. And it was originally cast for St- uh, Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen. What would. And, but Steve McQueen developed cancer right. and wasn't able to do it. And Bert was just a, well, an opportunist enough that he swore he'd never do another car movie until right. Hal said, I'll pay you $5 million. <laughs> of course, you know, my favorite Burt Reynolds car movie is not that one. It's White Lightning. Or White Lightning. Or Gator. Gator was pretty good. <laughs> God, my favorite car movie is Driven. No, I'm yeah. kidding. Really. No. <laughs> exactly. Actually, so, White Line Fever. Uh, yeah. well, well, yeah, I forgot about that one. So, in your opinion... Or maybe in you know in Brock's thoughts back in the day, how would Cannonball have been different with Steve McQueen in it? Would it have been a different movie? It would have been a completely different movie. Brock wrote it more like there's a movie called Cannonball and Gumball Rally. Right, I remember that, Gumball that pre- Rally. That, yeah, that came out previously, right. and, and based on the fact that the the cannonball uh, the, the Cannonball was a uh, news event, he wasn't able to. Uh, stop them from doing it. Gotcha. Uh, oh, right, because it's public domain. Um, yeah. yeah. And those two movies actually captured the spirit of Cannonball better than <laughs> Cannonball Run. Wow. And Brock had written it more as a, you know, not a documentary, but a, sure. more of a action movie rather than a cameo-laden movie. <laughs> yeah, that was and a little was, overdone in that It movie. was really, I mean, I have seen Cannonball Run twice. Right. Brock saw most of it the first time, and that was it, as far as I know. Wow. Um, and any uh, credits he got in Cannonball 2 and 3 were contractual, not his actual just uh, uh, not his actual participation because he was really pissed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, and, and he caught a lot of flack from his friends because... You know, cashing in on Hollywood, right, destroying right. the the image of Cannonball. Although it must have been a pretty nice paycheck to get it, it through he, a number of years. I think it did. Yeah. Yes. So nothing wrong with that, I guess. If you know, it depends on. Hey, listen, we're all you know, different things for different. We're reasons. all whores and you know in the bus. <laughs> you know, all whores in this bus. I mean, we all you know we all cater to something. We all need something. We all Absolutely. do what we need to do when we need to do it. And listen, if I could be a part of a movie and be set for the rest of my life financially, I'd probably do it regardless. Of even if it was, you know, it's pretty amazing that, I mean, even back then to get away with it, but even in later years, I mean, aren't, they, I know that you're doing the one lap, which is, uh, you know, very charity based and, 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 but it's not, it's, it's safe and sane. It's safe and sane. You're going fast on places where you're supposed to go fast, a right. racetrack right. and not on the streets and, and all of that. And I mean, I think I, I read somewhere where Brock finally said, you know, he saw some guy at a Lamborghini with four escort radar detectors mounted in various places. And, and that was the, that was the car in the movie. 
movie. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, this is getting out of hand. Yeah, she did. And it was 1981 and just said, no, I, you know, we're going to pull a, put a bullet in Cannonball. We're going to hurt somebody. Yeah, somebody's going to, and, and then it'll lose any. And subsequently, there was a U.S. Express and, and then and a bunch of, um, uh, weird, well, not weird, but, um, Recreational or, or social events that right. uh, Cannonball Three Thousand and and Cannonball Run and and some other and Fireball and other ones that that were not sanctioned by anybody uh, that were um, not particularly well run nor safe. Sure. It was basically a a staged rally between hotels where you drink heavily and do the next do the right. same thing the next day. Sure, and uh, I was. Quoted by the Toronto Sun years ago when the uh, Cannonball 3000 was going through Canada, much to the Canadians' disgust, <laughs> what I thought of it. And I said, yeah, those events are run by young, pretentious, pretentious rich folks, you know, with, that are bored. That are bored. They and have nothing uh, better to do. Can anybody join the one lap tr- deal? I mean, can anybody anybody with a car? Anybody with uh, some racing experience? Well, yeah. track experience. So you'd have to go to two different schools, which would be like a I don't know, Skip Barber. Oh yeah, or, no, I, actually, we're we're much more flexible than NASA, SECA, oh gosh, Chin, um, uh, hooked on driving. Yeah, uh, all those all those things provide in in classroom. A training and on the on racetrack training, and we've managed to uh, uh, since I took it over from my father, kind of rebuilt it away from the cult of personality, which he was right. such a giant human, you know, sure. giant presence, to a um, pretty uh, a pretty amazing uh, event right now. It's a standalone. We you know I, I will open up the uh, uh, registration at the end of August. And in two days, I'll have a wait list. Once again, thank you, Brock H. Jr. for being on the show. And we'll see you next time on the Classic Automall Podcast. Catch you then. You've been listening to the Classic Automall Podcast with your host, Stuart Howden. Executive producer, Steve Safir. Produced and engineered by yours truly, J.R. Russ. Thanks for listening and sharing the Classic Auto Mall podcast. Available on ClassicAutoMall.com, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Questions, answers, or comments? Write us at podcast at ClassicAutoMall.com. And if you want to talk about buying a classic car seen on our website, you're looking for a particular vehicle, or want to consign your classic for sale, write us at info at ClassicAutoMall.com, or call and talk to a real live classic car specialist at 888-227-0914 that's 888-227-0914 music courtesy of the pat traverse band for tour dates contact and stuff visit pattraverse.com the classic auto mall podcast is produced by car smarts media copyright 2023 all rights reserved